Amen. Thank you, worship team. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to travel with YWAM. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of it before. We've had a lot of young adults and others uh, go on this missions organization. But uh, one day, while we were traveling uh, to an orphanage in a remote village from one of the larger cities, uh, we had a bit of extra time. And so as we were driving along, we saw the sign that said a facility uh, was offering elephant rides. And so we got pretty excited. And uh, once we got there, we realized it was less of a facility and more of a group of friends who just caught some elephants and tamed them. Uh, but nonetheless, we got to ride some elephants. So uh, now if you've seen an elephant up close, they are incredible animals. They're massive. They can lift hundreds of pounds with their trunk. Uh, their, their skin is tough and, and hard like concrete. It's, uh, even even the, the bristles on, of hair on their heads will poke through your jeans. They're, they're massive creatures and incredible. Uh, but what amazed me is when we were getting these elephant rides was how well-tamed these massive creatures were. Uh, they, would, they would go in the direction that the handlers told them to, and then when they were waiting for the next group to take their ride, they would uh, tie a small chain around its foot and stake them to the ground. And they would stay, even though that wouldn't actually stay. Um, uh, actually, Ireland, if you want to chuck up that photo there, please. Uh, it's kind of hard to see in the photo, but at the front right-hand side of the elephant's leg there, yeah, you, you can't see it at all. It's an elephant, I promise. Um, but there's, you can see a little chain there, and like I said, it, it's quite easy to see that that elephant could snap that chain like a rubber band. Um, now, I'm sure that some of you know this, but the reason that that elephant won't move once it's staked to the ground with that small chain is because the elephant actually believes that that chain is too strong for it to break. Uh, you see, when, when they were young and when they were training these elephants from a small age, they would tie a strong chain around their leg, stake them to the ground, and it was strong enough when they were small to hold them in place. And so the elephant would try to get away, and it couldn't. And because they're still young, they couldn't break the chain. But as they grew and became stronger, they never continued to test the weight of the chain. They continued to believe that it was strong enough that they couldn't break it. What we believe influences the way we act. You know, if the elephant believed that it could have broken that chain, then... It wouldn't be sitting there between rides waiting for people. It'd be over at the bunch of bananas trying to eat the food. So in the same way, our own beliefs influence the way we act and the way we live in this world. Now this morning, we are continuing our series, New Life, where uh, we've been walking through the book of James and looking at how, how we're supposed to follow Jesus, what this new life is supposed to look like once we've come to believe in our Savior. And as we've been walking through the book of James, we've been seeing that this new life uh, that we're called to is one where we treat others with respect, where we show them love and no favoritism, to, to speak truth and life and to watch our words carefully, uh, to do good and, and get rid of the unhealthy practices in our lives. And so as we walk through today's passage, uh, I want us to understand that our belief should influence the way that we act in this world and that our faith in Jesus as our Savior will have an effect on the way we live. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me. Uh, we're going to be reading from James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. 
James chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is not considered, is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What we believe influences the way that we act in this world. Now, this passage that we're looking at today, people have wrestled with for hundreds of years. Uh, so if you're feeling a little unsettled as we read that, that's okay. People have been worried or of, about this passage for a long time. Uh, even Martin Luther uh, in the 1400s, a famous theologian, he first believed that the book of James shouldn't even be in the Bible because of this verse that talks about our faith and our works because it seems to contradict the teachings of Paul that say that we are justified by our faith alone and not by the things that we do. So how do we reconcile this difference? How do we understand this fact that on one side, James makes it pretty clear that a faith without works is useless, is dead even, he says, just like a, a seed that goes into the ground and doesn't produce anything. It's a dead faith or useless. But we don't work for our salvation. We can't because even our, even our best actions are like trying to cover up the evil things we've done. Even the, our best efforts to attempt to cover over the bad things we've done is like putting a new tablecloth over top of a dirty table instead of having to do the dishes. Like it might hide the problem, but it doesn't actually do anything to change the problem. So how do we see this difference? How do we understand that? Um, and I would argue that these two aren't really contradicting ideas. They're more two sides of the same coin. Uh, one talking about life before conversion and the other talking about life after conversion. So I'll, I'll just, to, to help us understand this, I'll bring up a few places where this pre-conversion life is mentioned, where Paul is talking about that you are saved not by your works. Uh, so in the letter of Ephesians, Paul writes, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Uh, in Acts, when, when a man was asking Paul how to be saved, uh, Paul just replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe. There wasn't a working. There was nothing he had to do apart from believe. 
Uh, Jesus, he was literally asked, what must we do to do the good works God requires of us? Jesus said, this is the work of God, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe, not to work. In Romans 3.28, it says, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So, these verses that I've just read are all in the context of justification. It's this idea that this is the way that we are made right in the eyes of God. The way that he sees us is no longer as sinful, broken people if we accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for us because he's paid the price for our sin. He's justified us freely. And it can't come because of our own good efforts, right? We can't do enough good to cover over the bad that we've done. It's like the tablecloth on top of the dirty dishes. So that's the first side of the coin, how we come to be saved, how we are justified in the sight of God. Now, the other side of the coin is the way our lives should look after we make the decision to follow Jesus, the actions that mark the life of a believer. I'll read that that verse from Ephesians one more time, but I'll include the next verse in it. It is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. We are created in Christ to do good works. In the beginning, once God created mankind, he spoke purpose and spoke life and direction to mankind and said, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The, the first interaction that God has with humanity, he speaks life and purpose and direction. He tells them what their work is going to look like. And, and their work in paradise, in, in, in a world untouched by the blemish of sin and death, not marred by the corruption of it, what was their work? It was to tend a garden. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You see, we were designed to work. We were designed to do now, that doesn't give us our meaning and our purpose, but we were created to work in God's image to subdue the earth and to create, to, to carve instruments out of trees and to create beautiful music with it, to take metals from the earth and use it to build tools to make houses, to harvest grains and make delicious breads and cakes. It can be a hard mentality, though, for us, especially in Alberta, to understand where, where work is often just seen as a way to make money and, you know, weekends and vacations are the real life and work is just the means to enjoy our vacationing a little bit better. But this isn't the type of work that God created us for, to just strive for money. You see, after sin was brought into the world, everything became touched by the stain of sin. Everything was corrupted by its effects. Even our work was turned from the satisfying, life-giving, creating in the image of God work to a pain-filled and sweat toil. And it's become even more corrupted still. Work has turned into a way of justifying ourselves. It's, it's given us a reason to feel better than other people because you know, we look down on other people who do certain work. We, we use it to 
give us a sense of status and a sense of pride in life, a sense of direction and accomplishment for the things that we've done. And there's nothing wrong with taking a sense of pride in our work, but it's when we find our worth in our work, when we compare ourselves to others because of it, and when we use it to build ourselves up. Something that work was never intended to be for us. But that's not what it has to be for us even today. 2 Corinthians tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You see, while we are in this world, we'll still feel the, the pain and the effects of sin. But because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, sin doesn't rule over us any longer. And as we are recreated in Jesus, as he has made us a new creation, so too we are also given purpose. We are recreated to do good works that God has prepared for us. Do you see how beautiful that promise is, though? Jesus not only paid the price for us to spend eternity with him, he cleaned up the table that we never could. And right now, in this life, he has given us an eternally designed job description that includes a task, the ability, and the location to be able to do that. God has plans for you. He has work for you to do. And there's no need to worry about what type of work that's going to be. He's created these jobs specifically for you. Now, the way I've explained it to the youth group in the past is like this. Um, God has created some of you to be pencils and some of you to be axes. Uh, what's, what's the purpose of a pencil? It's to draw and to write, uh, to mark up paper. And the purpose of an axe is to chop down wood, cut down trees. So when we, when we live as God has created us to be and do the works that he's created for us and given us purpose, then we thrive and our work is meaningful and has purpose. But when we live outside of the recreated purpose that he's made us for, then we're, we're like a pencil that's trying to act like an axe or an axe that's trying to act like a pencil. If you, if you try to cut down a tree with a pencil, it's going to be meaningless toil. It's going to be labor that is striving against the wind. Um, it'll be working against what you were designed to do. If you try to draw a picture on paper with an axe, you're just going to bludgeon your way through it and destroy the paper. When we try to do enough good to feel good enough about ourselves, we miss who God has created us to be, and our work is about as useful as using a pencil to chop down a tree. But when we submit our lives to Jesus, when we give our lives to God and live in the recreated purpose that he's given to us, our work is meaningful. It's no longer striving after an unattainable goal of saving ourselves, so it's a given path designed for us by Jesus, specifically for you by our loving creator. The one who knows how you think, who created the pathways in your brain and the muscles that keep your heart pumping, has plans for you and work for you to do. That is the work that James is talking about. The recreated purpose given to each of us if we choose to follow Jesus. Now, throughout the New Testament, the language that's often given to uh, this work is, is often called bearing fruit. It's kind of this analogy of like a plant produces fruit and shows evidence that it's a plant. Uh, we are supposed to bear fruit. Like an apple tree, if it doesn't produce an apple, it's not actually an apple tree. It still technically is, I get it. But 
If an apple tree doesn't produce apples, we wouldn't call it an apple tree. And in the same way, if a believer doesn't bear fruit, they aren't really a believer. So with the rest of our time today, I just want to encourage three different groups, and there's probably an encouragement for you in each, but there's three groups I want to speak to. Those who believe and bear no fruit, uh, those who believe and bear fruit, and those who haven't yet believed. Now, in, in John 15, Jesus describes himself as a vine, and he, he relates humanity to uh, the branches that are connected to this vine. And, and he, he says that if there are any branches that don't bear fruit, that they will be thrown away and wither. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But the branches that do bear fruit are pruned so that they will be even more fruitful. And in Matthew, another story, Jesus is concluding his Sermon on the Mount, and he uses the same kind of language. And he says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now I want to point out that those works that Jesus was referring to those people that they were doing, the works that they were doing of, of casting out demons and performing miracles and speaking and prophesying in his name, these are the marks of a believer. These are the works that Jesus even said believers should have. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says the signs who accompany believers will be driving out demons, speaking in tongues, and healing people. So what happened? Why didn't they get in? They might have been doing the right things, the work that Jesus encouraged us to do, but they do it with the wrong heart. They were doing it to earn their way to salvation. Can you hear the, the language that it is? Lord, Lord, did we not do these things all for you? Did we not do enough for you in order for you to accept us? Were we not good enough? They had the gifts of the Spirit, but not the fruits of the Spirit. And I think we can go about our work in the same way too. Doing perhaps good deeds but not bearing any fruit because we do it with impatience, without love. The, the book of Galatians tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I have to sing the song in my brain every time I say it. Um, but do you have these in your life? This fruit, is it, is it obvious in your life? And notice that it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. It's only when you have all of these qualities and they are revealed through you, that the Spirit is bearing fruit through you. Because anyone can be patient without showing kindness, right? You can be joyful and at peace without at the same time being gentle. Anyone can do that. The fruit of the Spirit should be all of these qualities, not just one or two that we're really good at. So I want to ask you who have decided to follow Jesus, what fruit are you bearing? If your life is marked with the fruit, is your life marked with the fruit of the Spirit? And if you aren't bearing fruit, I want to encourage you, hear the real warning that Jesus gives, that any branch that doesn't bear fruit will be withered and cast aside. 
Is there anything keeping you from bearing fruit? Is there something you need to give up or take on? Is there something that you need to do to ask forgiveness from? Is there someone that you need to ask their forgiveness for? There's life and there's purpose in Jesus. Don't stay in the place of inactivity just because it's hard. Jesus says that we have two choices and there's two options in this world, to be broken as we fall on the rock that is Jesus or to be crushed by that rock. There's pain either way and the transformation process that Jesus brings us through is difficult at times, but it is sanctifying and it has purpose. In Luke 13, Jesus tells us the story of a man who plants a tree and has his slave tend to the tree. And after a while, the man wants to cut down the tree because it's not bearing any fruit. And the servant says, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. There may be some of you here today who have the same warning spoken to you that God has called a set time for you to be cut down unless you bear fruit. Don't wait. Don't, don't fall under his judgment while it's avoidable. He is good and he loves all who come to him. To the believers who are bearing fruit, I want to encourage you to remember. Like I said, there is pain in transformation and discipline as Jesus makes us and recreates us. It is difficult, but remember the discipline that we are experiencing is a form of his love for us. Just like any parent disciplines their child so that they become the best version of who God has created them to be, remember that he's refining you. He's working on you, making you better. Remember Jesus' suffering that he went through for your sake, that he willingly went to the cross so that you would not be separated from him eternally that he was forsaken by God so that we wouldn't have to be. And he suffered the same things we do, the same anxieties, the same betrayals and pains, but overcame so that you and I could have hope. Remember the hope to which you were called. The Bible tells us that the things that we suffer in this lifetime aren't even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. At the judgment day, we will spend eternity in the presence of God a resurrected creation without the bitterness of death and where it's done away with once and for all, where there's no pain or mourning or tears, a place where everything is under the control of our loving creator, but also a place untouched by the corruption of sin, where the magnificence that we see in the beauty of a sunrise, in the, the wonderful smell of a rose, in the, in the splendor of a redwood tree is somehow even more perfect as we be with Christ in the place where it is untainted by sin and a new creation. A place where our lives are no longer pulled in two opposite directions between our spirit and our flesh. A place that we were created for. So, as you persevere, bear fruit. Remember that there is love and a hope far greater than the pains that we currently face. And nothing can take that promise away from you. As I close, I want to encourage those of you who haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, we've talked about the great hope and beauty that's available to anyone who believes, and the good news is that's available to anyone. If you don't have to work for Jesus to accept you. You don't have to clean up your track record or somehow fix your life before you come to Jesus. 
He says, come to me all who are thirsty. Everyone who is in need, come to me. If you can't fix your life, come to me. Acknowledge the ways you've sinned and the things that weigh heavy and shame of your soul. Bring it to Jesus. Stop trying to hide or justify or mask your sin. It doesn't work. Doing those things is only like putting the tablecloth over top of the dirty dishes. Only Jesus can clean up our mess. And if you choose to believe in Jesus, also realize that it will come with the hope of a recreated purpose. That there will be works for you to do that are good. That your belief will change the way you act. That you will be given work to do that's created specifically for you. Not meaningless toil that compares your worth to other people's, but good and life-giving work. God has created you as his masterpiece, his work of art, and he has plans for you. The creator of everything has plans for you. Will you choose to submit yourself to him this week? In the places he calls you, and the people he tells you to speak to, to love, to encourage, to walk alongside, to be lifting up in prayer. There's lots of opportunities. There's lots of needs in our world as well. So who will you submit yourself to this week? Because there's nothing, nothing that could matter more than fulfilling the purpose for which Christ has called you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in you we have purpose, that in you we have life and meaning. And God, as we look to our lives and realize the brokenness and the corruption sin has had an effect on, we realize that we're not perfect, that we need your help. God, in every single way, it is better to live following you. It is better to live in the purpose for which you've recreated us, but still we are prone to wander. So we ask for hearts that would come back to you quickly. We ask for minds that would be set towards your truth and not towards the lies that we hear in this world. God, we ask that you would help us to bear fruit. I pray for those who are wondering what that looks like, that you would give them direction this week, that you would show them what that is. I pray for those who haven't made the decision to follow you, God, that you would speak to them and continue to show, show your love to them. And for those who are bearing fruit, God, I pray that you would help them to persevere. God, in the ways that we desire to do good and love in this world, we ask for your help. So we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you've made every way for us, that you are good to us. pray these things in your name. Amen.